In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions, be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote. From accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht git blether. And you can also join in our blethers on social media. You can find us as at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode. We love making the podcasts and would love it if you could share them with your friends and leave a review on the platform of your choice. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the second series of Scottish Blethers. I'm Liz Lister. And I'm Helen Houston. And we're all abuzz with coronation fever. Oh yes, it's been just a busy, busy weekend, Liz. Yes, I've been out on tour. I had a tour and uh, so I haven't seen anything at all of the actual ceremony itself or of the concert yesterday. And I have to say that uh, I was in Fife and there wasn't a lot of celebration and evidence in Fife, but I think that it was different in the, maybe in the cities in Edinburgh and Glasgow. Well, it was quite interesting, Liz, because I was on tour as well and... I was in Edinburgh on the coronation day. I went to the Royal Yacht Britannia with my group and it was it was busy at the Royal Yacht because I think there was a cruise ship in as well. Mm-hmm. So life was going on as normal, but there was a lot of people around and about. But I must say that I got back to my hotel room and just put the telly on and got the the procession out of the of Westminster and the all the parade. And I did watch last night because I was home last night. I watched the the big coronation concert from Windsor, which was wonderful. Yeah. And of course, today, one of the the, um, the things that was closest to King Charles's heart was getting people out into the community. What is it called again? What It had a, a name. It did have a name. It was volunteering. They wanted everybody to volunteer yes. in the community, didn't they? Yeah. So I think that's I think that's going well in Scotland. But yeah. I, I think that, you know, as I was I was in the East Nuke of Fife and it was deserted. And I think that most people like you were sitting watching it on television. But, you know, I had a group of Canadians and Americans with me and, and we were trying to find some evidence of a celebration. And it was, um, you know, a few pieces of limp bunting hanging in the rain here and there. But we did find one, two ladies who were sitting outside their, their house in Ely and they had had a party and uh, they had fair enjoyed it. So I, I think that it was all going on inside I think it was, and what we Scotland has never been a country for street parties in the in the way that England has been, and I think it's the weather. Well, the last coronation in nineteen fifty three, it rained, so we've probably expected it to rain this year. So 
and it did, and it, it is. did. It's May after all. Yes. Rain can do well. It has been dull anyway. Not always raining. Yeah. But so we're continuing the theme of the coronation, and we will come on to King Charles III's coronation. But of course, in Scotland, for many years, we crowned our own kings. So we'll start this episode by looking back at the Scottish coronations that stand out. And when you think about it, in the days gone by, I mean, I think King Charles will be glad about this. But when it was um, medieval times, going back even beyond that, what they were looking for in a king, three things that they were looking for. Fertility. Well, I think he's been there, done that. <laughs> Prosperity. Right. And, but he was, they were also looking for um, someone who would lead the country successfully in war. I mean, think of James IV, the chivalrous king. He was a good example of that, although in the end of the day, it wasn't didn't so work out for him. But he led them to war. Yeah. But that was what was expected. And in days gone by, the ceremony, the coronation that went on when the person was crowned or coronated, as they would say, it was partly pagan because it was a, a marriage of the individual with the land. And then it was also partly Christian because um, in, in days gone by, they would have been blessed by usually by the abbot of Iona. So, you know, a lot of ceremony right going back to the very beginning. And when we go back to the beginning in Scotland, we go back to a place that you're very fond of, Helen, Danad. Yes, yeah, the end of Kilmartin Glen, that's a lovely place. And Donad, Donad itself, it just it just stands there in this wide glen of very flat land, but this great big rock just sits in the middle of it, and that was where this the the special place for the king would be to climb up that rock face and put his foot in the footprint. And of course, this on the west coast of Scotland, this was the the kingdom of Dalriada, Dalriada the coming together of the Irish and the Scots. And going back to 500 AD, we have the first king of the, the Gaels um, crowned here. At, well, not crowned, but coronated, as they would say, at Danad. And of course, in those days, one of the, the features that's most noticeable about Danad, if you visit, is that on the rock at the top of this fortification, there's a human footprint carved out of the rock. Now, some would say it's just a, a hole in the rock, but others would try to fit their foot in and see if it fits. And it's said that the king would have to put his foot into this stone footprint and that they were symbolically married to the land that they were about to rule. And that went on right through for almost 400 years until Kenneth MacAlpin came on the scene in 845 AD. And he had just defeated the Picts and he moved the seat where the kings were to be anointed to Spoon. And of course, last episode, we talked about the Stone of Spoon or the Stone of Destiny. Yes, and, and by just moving over from the west to, well, Spoon is more central, sort of nearer the east, but more central. And that was just giving us Scotland as we know it, you know, the, the shape of Scotland as we know it. So Kenneth MacAlpine just you know, moved quite a lot, not just the 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 coronations from Donad, but gave us Scotland, Alba, as we know it. Yeah, and just like at Donad, which was a fortification on the top of a rock, at Schoon, as we mentioned in the last episode, we had the Moot Hill, which dominates the landscape round about Schoon. And that was where all the nobles would come the, from all over Scotland to swear allegiance to their, their new king. And for years, this was the site 
of the inauguration of the, the kings of Scotland, and we talked about them sitting on the stone of Schoon. And as you go through the history of, of the Scottish kings at that time, not all of them good. Some coronations were a bit unexpected if the king died quickly. I mean, one of the most, one of the the most probably not most likely was um, poor Lulach, who was known as the fool or the simple. And he was the stepson of Macbeth. I think back to Shakespeare's Macbeth. Lady Macbeth had had him as her son from her first marriage. And when Macbeth was killed in battle in 1057, Macbeth's supporters were keen to get someone that they could control onto it. So poor old Lulach got thrust into the limelight and uh, he was placed on the, the throne, which didn't please Malcolm Canmore's supporters. And it was just a matter of months before poor old Lulach was assassinated by Malcolm Canmore. And Malcolm Canmore came to the, the throne of Scotland. And that's this is interesting because it was the first king of Scotland that we actually have the coronation details written down. And um, so we begin to, to be able to trace the similarities with the, the coronation that we've just seen. Yes, I think poor poor Lulac didn't really have a. He was onto a loser from day one, I think, for for that. With you, know, the stepson plus Macbeth plus Lady Macbeth plus everything else. But I was just thinking about Moot Hill, Liz, just before we moved away from that. You remember the, the World War Two films that you see, where the men are digging digging tunnels from the from the camps, the prisoner of war camps, to get out, and they kind of take all the earth out in their pockets and you know, shake it down through their trousers so it is not spotted. Well, that's how I see the people going to Moot Hill because they take the earth from their own sort of region of Scotland and they kind of shake it, put it on the hill and stand on that to swear allegiance, you know, to become king or the king sort of you know, has the, la- the land of all his people ra- round about him and he sits on the land. It goes back to, it's not the man, but it's the land that is important. Yeah, we're beginning to see things emerging. And then, of course, David I, um, he was the, the king who had been brought up in the English court when the Normans had just invaded in 1066. And so he changed the, the rituals quite significantly he abhorred the acts of homage offered by the Scottish nation. And he was called the safe sanct. He was very religious. So he maybe didn't think he was worthy of all these men coming with their pockets full of earth and swearing their allegiance to them. So he, he, he took after it. his mother, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He changed it into more influenced by the sort of the French Norman ceremonies that were going on across on the continent. But then there was that really interesting thing fairly recently, the rare coin that was found by an amateur detectorist in a field near Aberdour in Fife, not long, not far from where we are just now, Liz. And that was going to go on show to mark this current king's coronation. Yeah, and that was, that was um, David's the first successor. And again, one of the problems that we have repeated, repeatedly throughout Scottish history is the king's dying young and so the new king coming to the throne is very young and that causes problems of competition and all the rest of it. So David I's successor, Malcolm, who um, minted these coins, was just 12 years old when he came and he was known as Malcolm the Maiden, not just because he was young but because he was always sickly and there were always others competing for the throne and he died without marrying, without any heirs, so not particularly successful. But coins like this are particularly valued because his reign was so short. 
I'm just thinking that Malcolm the Maid is not terribly PC by today's standards, is it? <laughs> might 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 object to that if that was written down today. Well, some say it was because of his youthful appearance, but I think yes. it was. <laughs> there were other other factors in play. So you're talking about young people. Alexander the Third, the famous king who and was so desperate to get back to his second wife to get an heir. He was just seven years old when he came to the throne. Both him and his father, they were both crowned at Schoon as well. And then the most famous of them all. And I love this one, Helen. This was um, Robert the Bruce. I mean, I've just come back from Fife. And we've been doing a walking tour in Fife and and still many of the landowners today descended from the nobles from the time of David I and beyond. But the the highest in the land were the earls of Fife. And so when it came to crowning the King of Scotland, the hereditary role was that of the Earl of Fife. But we all know the, the shenanigans that went on when Robert the Bruce took the throne because he had many competitors. He ended up killing one of his competitors, murder in Greyfriars Kirk, and uh, that was John Common, and he had himself crowned King of Scots. Now, the church were surprisingly in favour of this. There was actually four bishops at his coronation. The reason for that being that the bishops didn't want to come under some of the archbishops down in England, like the Archbishop of York. So they were very supportive of his claim to the throne. But some of, of Robert the Bruce's supporters, the strongest and the bravest of them, were, were women. One of them was Christiana, the Lady of the Isles. She gave him galleys and troops. But I think the one that I really love and the one that stands out in history is Isabel, the Countess of Buchan. Now, she was the daughter of the Earl of Fife, the ones that had the hereditary right to place the crown on the head of the new king. But her brother was being held in England as a ward by Edward I because he didn't want him to be able to crown the King of Scots. And so the 19-year-old Isabella stood in for her brother. She stole the fastest horse of her husband, the Earl of Buchan, who happened to be very pro-English and also happened to be a relation of John Common that Robert the Bruce had killed. She stole his horse and she rode as fast as she could to Moot Hill at Schoon. She arrived a day too late for the coronation, but it was such an important part of history and tradition that King Robert the Bruce had a second coronation 48 hours after the first and she crowned him King of Scotland but she had a lot came down on her head Um, as you might expect her husband was none too pleased about it he was furious and so when she was captured a wee while later that year he wanted her killed but King Edward said no I've got something better in mind for her and he ordered her to be placed on the wall of the Tower of Berwick Castle And he placed her in a wooden cage so that she could be seen and recognised by everybody passing by. And she stayed like that for four years, exposed to the elements and just a wee privy inside it and barely any food, just enough to keep her alive. I just don't know how she survived four years on the wall of Berwick Castle, on that north, on that east coast, and the wind and the rain. I don't know how she did that. But then, of course, that seemed to be the fate of many women associated with Robert the Bruce, wasn't it? Because his wife and his daughter had a similar fate, that they were kind of caged up, weren't they, for a bit, until Robert the Bruce managed to kind of free the, free Scotland from Edward and get his wife and daughter back. Yeah, Elizabeth de Burr was his second wife. She was his queen. And she, her father 
was a staunch supporter of Edward, so he had given his two sons a surety so that Edward knew of his loyalty. And Elizabeth was, was savvy enough that during the coronation, um, when Robert the Bruce turned to her and said, Rejoice now, my wife, because you have been made a queen and I a king, she said to have replied to him, I am afraid, my lord, that we have been made king and queen as boys are made in summer games just like we're acting it out, but we're not really. So because she had said that, Edward didn't send her to the cage on the outside of a castle. He allowed her to go back to her manor house and she was ordered to be maintained with honour. So she was all right. And his daughter, Marjorie, she was sent to a nunnery, so she wasn't too bad either. A lot better than the males um, who had much, much worse fate if they had supported King Robert the Bruce. But even with Robert the Bruce's ceremony, we were beginning to get that gravitas that we were witnessing just this weekend at the coronation this weekend, Liz. You know, that the, there was certain things that had to be acted out. And then James VI, when he inherited the English throne in 1603, he then was crowned King of England at that time. And with their sort of different ceremony, which has become more the one that we're becoming used to now. Yeah. Of course, of course, Liz, I've seen two, you've only seen one. That's true, that's true. <laughs> but yes, we're beginning to see much more of an English, although the two came together and they were basically the same, that they were Christian, that they were, were Catholic, that it very much became the English ceremony that dominated. But in King Robert the Bruce's time, that was the first time that they had a crown. He had a circle of gold put upon his head, and he was said to have been draped in kingly robes and vestments. And the good old Bishop Wishart of Glasgow, he was so glad that uh, Robert the Bruce was getting crowned and that he wasn't going to come under the power of the English, that he had the great banner of the kings of Scotland, one with big lion and scarlet lilies on it. He'd hidden it. And so when Robert the Bruce was crowned, he planted it behind his throne. So all of the symbolism and the uh, pageantry that we're seeing today was right back to the 1300s when Robert the Bruce was getting, getting crowned. Yeah, and and I think that that's what's so important today. And of course, when we look at, you know, coming forward a wee bit from James VI even, and then into Charles I, um, James VI's son, the, that's when a lot of the images and the things that we do. But then, of course, we had Oliver Cromwell came in. Charles I was, you know, beheaded by the English Parliament, not the Scottish Parliament, but you can't cut off half a head. So <laughs> it, it all went. And of course, Scotland was really quite upset about that. So they very quickly sort of crowned his son or pro proclaimed him King Charles II. And then he came up to be crowned King of Scotland well before he was crowned King of England. And it's from Charles II's crowning in England that we get a lot of the sort of tradition and even the regalia that was used start, stems from there. Yeah, I mean, he, was, he wasn't too popular in Scotland because he was believed in the divine right of kings and he was trying to impose the English book of prayer. But when, they, when the English executed him because he'd been interfering in their parliament, the Scots said, well, we didn't like him very much, but we didn't give you permission <laughs> to chop off his head. And so they immediately crowned Charles II, which, of course, Oliver Cromwell didn't like. So he marched north to invade. Um, so a time of great dispute, of course, a time of the Covenanters fighting for religious freedom. So in Scotland, 
it was all about religion and trying to get the Presbyterian way of worship accepted, whereas in England it was more about the, the Parliament. So there was a lot going on, and, and you know, some people think that the coronation was kind of glossed over, but it was actually the last one to take place at Moot Hill in Schoon, and it was far from glossed over. If you look at the accounts for Schoon Palace, where it was held, the banquet was held. They weren't. They weren't sparing anything. He was. He had princely robes. Um, he made his oath and he swore his commitment. And they had a huge, big banquet with best of French wines, rich Highland dishes. All even the napkins had CR embroidered on them. And it was imported cloth from Holland because, of course, that's where he had been in exile with his uh, with Mary uh, and William, who would later take the throne. So the only thing that was different because of the Covenanters was that they were they were anti-anything that was Catholic. They wanted the Presbyterian Church. And so for the first time, he wasn't anointed with papal oil. So that was a big change to the, the, the practice at that point. Yes, and of course, he also agreed in Scotland that he would sort of uphold things like the Solemn League and Covenant and the... Uh, national covenant, but when he got back down and back onto the English throne again, he kind of let that go by the by a wee bit. Say in Scotland, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could go. <laughs> yes. So let's see what we're what's happening now. Coming straight up to to um, date with the coronation that's gone by this this weekend. It's been really interesting just seeing what it's all about and why we have a coronation as such. And it's really a formal investiture of a monarch with his regal powers. Although we know that when Queen Elizabeth died in September, instantly it was the Queen is dead, long live the King. Um, He was immediately King Charles. But the coronation takes a little bit of organisation, so it it waited until today. And the ceremony is very, you know, I just find the ceremony wonderful. It goes back over a thousand years. And although, as, as um, we've explained a little bit in the uh, the first part of, of this podcast, that a lot of it was going back to England, but from about 1600s, it was the two, the two kings, the King of Scotland, King of England, and then 17, the King of the United Kingdom of Great Britain that was coronated. But a thousand years of things, but the only legal... Um, requirement of the coronation is the coronation oath, which is where the monarch swears to govern the people of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth according to their respective laws and customs. And so that is the only thing required by law that King Charles had to do, mm-hmm. but he he you went with tradition as well. Yeah, I mean, in the lead up to the the coronation, we were hearing in the media a lot about how it was going to be simplified. It was going to, you know, it was going to be far smaller in scale than the Queen's um, coronation in 1953, and it was going to be much more inclusive. And I sort of got caught up in this and thinking that, you know, it would be quite a more modern affair. But it certainly wasn't. In small snippets that I've seen, in the He's, he's anointed, blessed and consecrated by the Archbishop. It was very, very traditional, you know, words that had been that have been repeated throughout history, um, you know, to, to uphold the reformed Protestant religion. I, you know, I, there was parts of it that, you know, that I'm thinking, is this relevant in this day and age? 
Yes, and I think that he he did want to kind of change that wee bit a, a bit, but because, of course, part of the hats that he wears is head of the Church of England. Mm. So I think a lot of that was to do with being head of the Church of England. But, you know, there's defender just... Defender of the faith, but he did say that he was going to be defender of all faith. Yes. Um, and... I have still to watch it, and so I can't comment. I mean, one thing that we have um, our Prime Minister, Richie Sunak, who's Hindu, reading from the Bible. Um, I have to watch it before I can comment. No, really it's, comment. It's, it's, actually, it's, actually, it's actually very good because he, he wasn't allowed to change that, that oath. However, what he did do was, when he was leaving the Abbey, he went over to speak and shake hands with the the heads of very many different religion religious faiths mm-hmm. on his way out so he got his way about saying you know, this is this is much more inclusive than it was during my mother's time and i am including you into the service which was which was rather good and it was you know he was handed the gauntlet which was part of the regalia by lord lord singh to you know, wearing his turban so it was it was really quite inclusive from that point of view and of course the regalia that we have there today is not the original as it is in scotland because the honors of scotland were hidden from oliver cromwell yes but um, down in england they were destroyed so it's a new set so they're not as old as the the scottish regalia no no, they just go back to charles ii and um they certainly they, they are replicas, they, though they are replicas. Mm-hmm. And when King Charles was you know, taking the regalia, all this stuff, he is kind of taking them and holding them in trust for, by, you know, he is holding them in trust for the nation. He looked really quite solemn. Mm-hmm. He wasn't taking it lightly. It was weighing heavily on him. Edward, the St. Edward's crown is very heavy, I, I understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But literally, yeah. Yes. But, I mean, it's for some people, this was a monumental occasion. I was in uh, Dunfermline Abbey, and this man was coming out, and he just started to talk, just a random, and he was talking about the, the coronation and the fact that one of the, the, there's something that was in the regalia that contains a piece of the the cross of Christ, the rood. I, I was thinking of Queen Margaret in Scotland in the Holy Rood, but he said that this is the only time that it comes out, and he never thought he would see it in his lifetime. And there were tears in his eyes. You know, he was getting so emotional about this. Yeah. So you know, for for people who are into their monarchy and perhaps into their history, this was a massive occasion. Oh, it was huge, and I think that um, you, I get a little bit concerned about people who are anti-monarchists and want to you know, get rid of them. There were people there in the crowd you know, saying that. But actually, if you did get rid of the monarchy and all symbols of the monarchy, got rid of them altogether, that's what brings people to, to this country, to see these things that they don't see elsewhere. And if you do that, then gradually the tourism, etc., will disappear. And of course, we now all we are a, serv- a service country, you know, the service sector, get rid of all of that and there is nothing. So there's do bring in a lot of revenue to the country. 
and his his clothes were were quite magnificent. You know, it's all this it's all this tradition that um, you know, you don't know because it only comes out once in a generation, or perhaps twice in a generation. In your case, Helen. Yeah, thank you, Liz. Yes, no, but the the coronation vestments you know were very symbolic. They they're kind of going back to kind of religious vestments, but. The he Prince Charles coming through this whole coronation was, you know, the theme of reuse, recycle. He was just wanting nothing wasted. And so instead of having new vestments made where previous monarchs had had, he just used his grandfather's um old vest to be to be sworn in in. And you know, he was he he just wanted everything to be not wasteful. He accepted we had to put on. But Liz, there was 8,000 at his mother's coronation in the Abbey, 2,000 at his. Mm -hmm. And he had many more people, ordinary people there. I think there was some discussion on television about the great and the good, how it was the good, the people who were there because of the good they do, the contribution they really have made to the country. They were the good And it was the good that was great, not in previous times. The great were the the titled people, the moneyed people. But at this point, the nobility still are are evident and they have to be in their their proper regalia. Um, I don't think they were quite as evident at the kings as they have been in the past, but they were were still there. They were still there, but they, they were given the choice of just going in in ordinary clothes they didn't yes. have to wear all their all their regalia so and i think i think the numbers were probably scaled down as well who were who were getting an invite uh-huh. it's changing gradually but it makes you i don't know who it is that um, decides if the the format can be changed well the duke of norfolk is traditionally the duke that does all the sorting it out so I think because so many things go back so many hundreds of years, I think people are maybe slightly nervous about changing things. But it came across the the music this time was just out of this world. Mm-hmm. There were so many sort of new uh, pieces of music uh, written especially for it. And it was very, very inclusive. All the languages of the four nations and the Commonwealth were used in the singing of it and it was just so much wider and more diverse than the previous coronation. And one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing when I, I eventually get a chance to look at it, the flowers, I understand that the flowers were magnificent. Well, the flowers were. The flowers were fantastic. And they came from the, lo- well, locally insofar as they were from the, a charity or non not-for-profit group called Flowers from the Farm. And they're just various flower growers in their allotments, in their gardens, in their farms, provided the flowers or brought the flowers. So they came from all over the, the British Isles, Sky, Cornwall, Northern Ireland, Wales. They came from everywhere, 120 varieties of flowers and by over 80 members of the Flowers of the Farm Association. Mm-hmm. Well, it was quite an event, and yeah. um, Camilla by his side all the the way. Um, I I was just getting snippets of it, and I I heard that they were at a banquet the night before, and then she had it all the next day. I can't help but think that she must have been desperate to get home and get those shoes off and just oh, relax. Yes. <laughs> yes, 
Yeah, I'm sure. And just going back to the flowers, again, going back to this reuse and recycle, the flowers, you think, what on earth is going to happen to all these flowers? But there is a, a group of people called the, the flower angels mm-hmm. who collect up all the flowers and this occasion from the coronation, and then they re bookie them, re repackage them into nice little bookies and things to hand it hand into various places, whether it be hospices, hospitals, care homes. So people get um to really appreciate and see these flowers. And the Queen Consort, Queen Camilla, is a patron of the flower angels. Very good. And of course, coming from the last coronation, our Queen, 1953, we had that staple coronation chicken. Um, which I love on a baked potato. But we had our food this time as well. This time it was a quiche. Um, And the quiche is uh, spinach, broad beans and tarragon, which I can't wait to try. Yes, and apparently that was was done. It was almost Prince Charles's decision on that. It was showing what you can make with produce from your own gardens. Mm. So big thing for him, yep. Yes, because very much so into that. And did you know that when he plants a tree, he always gives the branch a wee shake, a wee shake to wish it well on its way. I knew, I knew that he talked to his plants. I didn't no, know that he. But gave every a wee time shake. you watch him, if he plants, if you see him planting a tree, he'll just shake the branch after he's planted and said, "There, there, you'll be fine." Oh. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to watching it, Helen. I'm, you know, I, I'm quite ambivalent. I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. But uh, I I do enjoy all the pomp and ceremony, so I will um I'll form my opinions when yeah. I've had a chance to look at yeah. it. Well, I I thought I thought it was just it was it was really really good, and of course, Liz, as I've said, I watched the one in 1953 as well. <laughs> I remember what going to a, a friend of my mother's house who had little. 12-inch television set. I don't know how many people were in her living room there, sitting cross-legged on the floor, watching the Queen's coronation. And um, it rained that day as well. Well, we'll ask ourselves, where were you when when King Charles was um, was at his coronation? And uh, I was wandering around the streets of Ely on the walk in the Pilgrim Way. Oh, right. <laughs> in, that, in, in that case, yes. I was walking yes. on the... I hadn't got lost. I was yes. just part of the, the coastal yes. path. Yeah. Well, in the Queen Elizabeth's coronation, Queen Salotti of Tonga, out of respect for the Queen, she chose not to have the, the hood of the carriage that she was riding in up. She wanted it down out of respect for the Queen. So she... That's another lasting memory of her in the pouring rain and was there anybody was there anybody that stuck in your mind as an equivalent to that this time round well I, I they didn't have all the carriages which which was one of the toning down they didn't have the carriages they just had the two main carriages and and a few cars but even the cars were not the grand rolls royces that you expect some were just ordinary cars going in to the big salute that was the other thing that king charles iii wanted all the members of the the armed services from the UK and the Commonwealth, they were all marching in front of the King and Queen, um, so they didn't get a chance to see them. And he felt that it would be quite nice after all that they'd done, all the preparation, that they could see them. So there was they all lined up in the gardens of Buckingham Palace and the, the King and Queen went out to 
take the salute with them and they got the three cheers. It was really very well done. Good, so. good, good. Well, I look forward to watching it. Um, any words of the week this week? Oh, I haven't thought of that. But I would think that I hope that at the end of the the weekend that the the king and the queen just have a, well, the rest of the world was having a, a right good hoolie as they were celebrating it, celebrating the coronation. So, so is hooli, hooli, Liz, is that a word? A, well, well a as we haven't got anything else, I mean, I'm just thinking, coming to mind, and I was just talking about Camilla and her feet being sore wearing shoes for the whole day. Her feet were fair stooning. Oh, <laughs> well, she's just right. soaking them in a so, bowl of, whole, of hot water. Right. A mustard bath. <laughs> well, well, it's no, pomp and tradition. That's right. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody's kind of got a little bit from, from our blethers of the coronation. And I saw half of it, and then I watched a rerun, but I did see the concert and it was it was brilliant as well. Fantastic well, got... work on the with the drones in the sky. Just fantastic at the concert. Well, that's just what I'm going to go off and do just now. I'll spend right. the rest of the evening watching. I think we'll watch, I'll watch the concert first, but yeah. <laughs> I'll well, get you... all the, the Sunday papers. We'll have it all in great detail, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, you enjoy that, Liz, and thank you again. Okay, see you next time for another episode of Scottish Blathers. Bye for now. Bye. And there we have it, the end of another episode of Scottish Blathers. If you'd like to join us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Scottish Blathers. And if you'd like to leave a review, please do so on your podcast platform of choice. It's Cheery Bye from me. Tata the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.